Hi, I'm George Tekmachov here with Steve, the Big Cat Anderson. Welcome back for another Easton Target Archery Podcast. Today, our special guest is Rod Menzer, the CEO of USA Archery. We join in mid-conversation because, uh, quite frankly, we had a little bit of an audio problem at the very beginning of the show. But as we pick up the conversation, Rod is talking about what's happening with USA Field and its effects upon the trials for the World Field Championships. Now, both events are here in the United States. The World Field Championship is scheduled for September in Yankton. And as we get into the conversation, you'll see just how tenuous that might be. Right now, uh, we're waiting on World Archery on June 1st to announce whether or not they're going to hold the World Field Championships this year or not, or if they're going to cancel or postpone or or whatever. Um, Depending on what happens there will depend on what happens with our national field. Um, You know, if we have to literally determine a team before the World Championships, uh, we're definitely going to be holding the World Field or excuse me, our national field in Yankton in July. But there's a lot of issues around people being able to travel, a lot of quarantines, 14-day quarantine if you're leaving. You know, even Montana's got quarantines for people coming in from certain states, you know. And so there's so many of those things that are, are happening right now. And you're quarantined when you get there, and then when they go back home, they get quarantined again for 14 days. And if, if it's not viable to literally get people there, then holding an event, doesn't make a lot of sense to call it a national championship. So, you know, that one I would say is is on the bubble um, right now, um, dependent upon what happens with um, World Archery on June 1st. Yeah. And far, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, the next one after that is uh, the Joad National Championship. Okay. Sorry. Let me, let, let me interrupt yep. you because let's, let's uh, take it by, by event just for a second here because I'm sure, going to follow up sure. real quick on the field aspect of things. Yes. Uh, very clearly, this is really up in the air because there's, very. you know, I mean, between flights and what's happening with international countries, when I say uh-huh. it's up in the air, I'm really talking about Yankton World Championship in September. Yes. If yes. that World Championship does... I think does, it's doubtful. Well, I, I, will, I will agree with you based on some of the inside information that I have. And so we'll just leave it at that for now because yeah, we I'm just looking. I'm just looking at the news, right? Looking at it realistically. Let's let's yeah. look at the worst case scenario and say, okay, this is going to be postponed till next year, or even yeah. canceled. Yeah. How does that? Just to recap, how does that affect American archers preparing for World Field or preparing to compete in the U.S. Nationals? What happens to U.S. Yeah, Nationals for for the U.S. Nationals? Um, at that point in time, uh, there. I, I, it's not a decision that has been completely made, but I would, I think without the world championships making us have to have an event that early still, um, most likely that event will get canceled. The national field will most likely be canceled if World Archery does not hold the world field championships this year. Okay, and then potentially move um, to next year if the calendar allows, maybe? Yes, or or it could get postponed and we may work um, with the NFA and, and some other events or things that may be able to be combined later in the fall um, in Yankton and maybe we still end up holding it. But um, it taking place on July 9th through the 12th in Yankton is, is highly unlikely. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but... No, you know, no, nobody can say that right now. That's right why now. that's why the June first date yeah. has been set for that decision. But yeah. let's be realistic and and, and not pessimistic, yeah. but realistic, and say, Correct. yeah, it's probably probably going to be a tough one. Yes, I would agree. It's going to be a tough one. Okay. Now you were about to bring up Joad Nationals and yes. and regular Target yeah. Nationals. Yes. Yeah, so we did we did some uh, surveying with. Uh, with Joad and Joad Club members and, and things. And we actually had really good results. It was, uh, we had, you know, close to 600 people actually respond to the survey about holding the event still in, in July, because so, it's July 15th through 19th in Decatur, Alabama, um, or, you know, looking at potentially postponing it or, you know, just canceling it, uh, dependent upon everything that's going on. Um, we, uh, at this point in time, We've, we've put some things in place. We haven't yet announced them all because we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with the event. And hopefully next week we'll have answers as far as that event goes. Um, but we're, we're looking at some mitigation things of, you know, separating targets further apart, you know, um, limiting how many people per target, two, two to a target um, instead of the normal three or four. 
uh, one person shooting at a time, um, you know, eliminating potentially premium seating, um, you know, looking at separating all the athlete chairs six feet apart, uh, one person slash coach per person, you know, a lot of different types of things to keep the crowd to a minimum and uh, to, uh, you know, to just try and be as safe as we possibly can for them coming into the event. A lot of, a lot of hand wash stations and possibly handing out individual bottles of hand sanitizer, all that kind of stuff. Okay. You know, so that's part, if we hold it, that's part of what we're going to be doing. And because of that, it limits how many people we could potentially have. Yeah. I was about to bring that up. I mean, you're at least cutting the field in half potentially. Uh, potentially um, at, at this point in time, you know, and I know there's, a, and so what we did is we, we've, we've, we kind of froze the Bowman and the uh, Cub um, registrations because the junior and cadets are vying for a U.S. archery team and potentially making that U.S. archery team, depending on how um, different trials and things go next year. Because, again, there's a lot. There's junior world championships. There's junior Pan Am. There's, there's all these events where potentially where people rank in junior USAT could make have a play right right um, so right. so for right to compete issues we wanted to make sure that basically every junior and cadet that wanted to go could attend so and because we're limiting you know limited as far as the size goes we actually kind of froze bowman and, and cub registration and also when you're looking at bowman and cub you know it's it's hard when you've got little kids for them to maintain social distancing and, and they always have somebody that is usually helping with the scoring and there's just a, a much bigger crowd around the young kids and and you know we want to have something of normalcy for them but at the same time you know it, it just was going to make the event that much harder um so it was the best interest i think of everybody to just uh, limit that one so yeah. that's one of the things that we've done today for sure um we have plans of still holding it yeah. However, hey, Rob. Uh, you Rob. know, we're, we're, yeah, we all agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, there's, that's the future. And those kids love competing. And, and I know a lot of, a lot of parents, you know, and families have someone competing in a cadet and junior. And if they don't, if they can't bring their Bowman or Cub, that then they don't come. And I, I get it. And I totally yeah, understand. Yeah. Um, Potential things that we're looking at, though, if, if we don't hold the, the JOAD, do we combine it with the national target championships like we used to? Because, again, the, the total attendance may be a little bit down there. Um, and we could do that um, later in August. Um, you know, there's just so many things still in the air. And we're really um, looking at it all, literally, day by day. And looking at what different states are doing, you know, what is Richmond doing? What is Decatur doing as far as um, their phase one, phase two, phase three? Are they limiting, limiting gathering sizes? You know, is it 250 people or less or 50 people or even less than that? Right? Yeah, because no matter what, you've got to follow the local rules first and then work from there, I presume, right? Exactly. Exactly. Now, if... If I was somebody who was going to look at registering for the for the JOAD, I'd go ahead and register. But if you're booking your your travel, just make sure you're either taking the insurance or you don't mind getting a credit on if you're flying, right? Or right. And don't right. don't prepay your rental car and don't prepay your hotel room. You know, don't do the things that when you cancel, you're going to have a problem. Um, so always good advice. I would just say be smart. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I just say, you know, be smart um, in booking that. But hopefully by the end of next week, we will have made a decision one way or the other. And the, the survey was very telling as far as what people were looking for and how comfortable they were in traveling to an event in, in mid-July. Um, and then others even who, who for example, weren't interested in going in July and felt it would be better to go, you know, have the event postponed until September – um, but then when you looked at, would you attend if it was held in September, it's like, you know, it's not, you know, the attendance was actually going to be less, um, most likely than if it was held in, um, in July. Yeah. So, and that's presuming again, something else. Really that's, that's presuming school starts as exactly. normal and, and that's by no means assured. Right. And at this point in time, they've been off of school for how long? 
And in some cases, some of these kids are, I would say, most likely are a little bit behind, right? And sure. so, so if we would postpone it into September, right when most schools start again, you're taking somebody out of school for another week right at a time when they are just starting. And, and that may just not be the right thing to do for us as an organization to try and hold an event and do that to them. So, again, a lot of, lot of things um, on the plate and looking at this one. Um, and I just hope people are, are patient and, and understand that uh, we're not ignoring it all. And we, we really want to hold it. If we can hold it, we can hold it safely. And if it makes sense for everybody involved to hold a national championship and have, you know, 150 people at it. When normally there's 850 in the Johad, it then is it really a national championship, right? If you can't attend, yeah. if most people can't attend. So, it's, well, it it's sucks, a pickle. It is what it is. It's a pickle, no doubt about it. And it's the same. Yep. It's the same thing that's being faced by 155 other national governing bodies in world archery. You know, yours is absolutely. Uh, Yours is an important one, France and Germany and Italy and Spain and England and, mm-hmm. I mean, you name it. And there are so yeah. many people, you know, uh, half a million competitive archers around the world minimum are being affected by this directly. And, um, yeah. you know, th- those are just the ones that, you know, that uh, that compete regularly, that show up on right. WA's radar. Imagine how right. many people beyond that. You know, we're talking the tip of the oh, pyramid, yeah. but there's a big base. Yeah, absolutely. WA just issued uh, on the 8th of this month uh, their safety recommendations for outdoor archery. And it sounds like everything you're yep. talking about is completely aligned with what they've yeah, issued. I actually saw their document earlier this morning and um, and going through that. And yeah, it's pretty much you know, pretty much all the same things that we were thinking about. So The one that kind of gobsmacks me for an outdoor tournament is they basically are saying one archer per target. Yeah, now that's probably a little bit, you know, that's hard, you know. I yeah. mean, we, we were doing two <laughs> per target um, and sp- spacing the targets at three meters instead of two meters. Um, well, they're, they're saying two meters and they're yep. saying each archer should use a separate target. And then if yeah. the targets are closer than two meters, they're saying alternate targets should be used. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I get it. Works I, I, compound I, I, because you have yeah. multiple faces on a butt. But, sure, um, but for a recurve, that would be awful difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I understand their reasoning, you know, and it makes sense. But then you're you're also looking at how do they score? Right, right. If you got one per target, you got you know at least two targets that are you know two people for scoring. So you're going to have to be you're going to be going over to their target anyways, and those two are going to be getting together. Right. So and, if they're getting together, you might as well. Okay, alternate shooting, you know, A, B line, C, D line, one person uh, shooting at that. And then they go down and they score together. And it's just those two um, that are going to have a little bit most, you know, closer quarter. And they can, again, still stay a little bit further apart. And they can put a mask on if they wanted to, um, you know, and if if it wasn't too, too hot, you know. I could mess with your anchor point. (laughs) Well, you can't do that shooting and that'll be a little harder, um, but... Yeah, in which case, what's the point of a mask? I mean, handling the mask is probably worse than, than, you know, taking it on and off is probably worse than just, you know. It can be. But anyway. The big thing is if you got a cough, if you're not feeling good, just don't go. Yeah, stay home. Stay home if you're not feeling well. Any fever, cough, shortness of breath, muscle aches, the whole nine yards that they associate with this whole deal. Unexplained fatigue, whatever. Stay at home. There's no event, no thing that is worth um, getting other people sick that you're going to feel terrible your whole life, even if it doesn't bother you that much, you yeah, know, without a doubt. So it's a terrible thing, but so that's, that's the first two. And then the, the next one would be NTC in August. And right now we're planning NTC as is, um, th- again, there could be some, some potential changes. Um, is that Decatur this year? Uh, NTC is in Richmond, Virginia. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Richmond, Virginia. No, that's right. Yep. And Virginia is just going to start phase one of their plan to open things up. And that's a two to four week or longer plan. And so you take that into account. And then phase two for them is two to four weeks or longer. And there they limit 50 people to a gathering. Um, And then after that, their phase three, it's open. But we do have three fields in Richmond, Virginia, so we potentially could have 100, you know, 50 people in each on each field, and then have a morning and an afternoon, so we could easily get 300 
Um, but that could even limit it. Yeah, but that's yeah, but that's so, way lower than the numbers that you're used to. Correct, correct. But then, but then at the same time, we're also, you know, and, and we haven't talked to the folks at Buckeye about this or anything. You know, but Sherry and I were talking about it this morning. So here's a scoop for you: um, is is the potential, um, depending on what happens in Richmond, Virginia, of of taking the NTC and the Buckeye and basically making Buckeye the NTC. Oh, interesting. And that, and that in itself moves it a couple more weeks out at a different location in Ohio. Um, and, um, you know, as we all know, two weeks can make a huge difference sure. in this whole thing. So, so again, depending on what all happens, um, something like that could happen, but we would try and do our best to hold the NTC um, just because a national would be great. Because, I mean, if we hold the Buckeye and the NTC, I mean, it's still one score for rankings, um, but you're you're looking at, you know, let's just call it the NTC then and not Buckeye. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Th- those are some of the things that we're looking at as a possibility, and Sherry's going to do a little extra work on uh, on that. So well, it's, real it's clear ever that- evolving, but right now NTC is on as as scheduled and hopefully things continue to improve. Yeah, very clear that flexibility is an important aspect of all of this it because is. you can you might have to shift plans a couple of weeks out, who knows. Yeah, there's an incredible amount of our membership that we're hearing from that are just chomping at the bit to get out and shoot and compete. You know, and Steve, you're probably one. You're you've had enough of this and you want to get back out there and shoot. Um but maybe not. <laughs> But, no, I, I, I actually do miss it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, it's one of those things, though, when, when you really, uh, you know, we're hearing just such a huge desire for people to get out and do stuff. So, you know, we're hoping we can get to that point where we can hold the events. And But you most see, of our other events are in, in, the, in the fall. You see, Steve did a uh, fine job representing the United States at the lockdown challenge. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, he did. Uh, he, in fact, uh, I was telling him yesterday that uh, that was carried by a lot of national broadcasters in a lot of countries. So, Steve, you are big in Japan. <laughs> yeah, that's just sad. It's just sad that, the, <laughs> that that's what they're resorting to. For Steve, Steve, did you actually practice before you did that? Um, I shot February 29th. And I shot uh, once against Linda somewhere like end of March, beginning of April. And then I shot uh, about 60 arrows prior to that. So you were in your prime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I was, yeah, I was good. strong. Feeling strong, fam. Now, if you look at the, you know, it's the typical Steve Anderson pattern, though, right? No practice, no practice, go kick butt. No practice, no practice, yeah. go kick butt. Yeah, so, he's got a fresh mind then. Yes. Yeah. But I didn't kick butt. I didn't do anything good. Okay, this time, but oftentimes it works out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <sighs> well, you know, I know for um, some people may be uh, curious so we had a, a a board meeting yesterday. We've we've um, it was actually yesterday afternoon. It was a, a long uh, board meeting um, via video, and um, we were looking at changes that need to be made toward to the ranking system and how we're going to select the the U.S. archery team uh, for uh, for next year, with depending upon what all happens. And there were a lot of things kind of bandered around. We got an incredible amount of feedback um, from the athlete advisory councils, um, both the Para Athlete Advisory Council, Able Bodied Athlete Advisory Council. Um, you know, Crystal Gobbin did a lot of work in, in contacting Archers and uh, Brady, uh, Rio, um, and getting feedback. And then, of course, I heard from a lot of individual Archers about different scenarios and different things. And um, basically, um, you know, of course, right to compete always comes into play. Uh, the Ted Stevens Act has some provisions in it to, you know, we can only limit so much and people have to have a right to be able to try and make teams and do things. So, yeah. Also known um, as the Amateur Sports Act, for those of you wondering what, uh, what Rob's referring to. Yeah, and that governs a lot of what we do when it comes to like Olympic or World Championships or, or making teams as an NGB. So, you know, we um, the 
the current uh, procedure for NRS is going to continue if we end up having all five events. It's basically going to be the same, the same thing, um, the same process as what we've used. Of course, international bonus points will drop off because there's no international events. If an international event is not held, then those bonus points just drop off. But basically, um, that'll all go. You'll no tournaments this year would be mandatory though, so you can you can pick and choose which ones you want to go to. If we hold all five, four of them count, um, and this is for the senior team. Okay, if we cancel one event, then and you'll be able. We'll count three. So you'll go to four events and you can count three. So basically you just have to attend three events. If for some reason we end up having to cancel two of them and we only have three events, then all three events are gonna count towards the ranking. Okay. If it's if it's under that, if there's only two events, it reverts back to the 1231-19 um, ranking. And the team is selected off of that, which is basically gonna be the, the current team that is um, there in place now. So that is what has been was finalized by the board and passed by the board yesterday. Um, so now at least there's uh, people know how the teams are going to be selected before yeah. the events are, are held. Yeah, at least now so we have a clear a little path. Different, but we had to we had to put some parameters in place of you know dependent upon cancellations and what happens. So okay, so uh, again, subject to change based on what could yep. happen. Obviously, you've got a number of different uh, scenarios that could yes. you know, affect this. But uh, for now, this mm -hmm. is where we stand. And that's good to know at least we stand somewhere and you know, yep. people can plan accordingly. Correct. Hey, what do you say we shift gears and uh, tap into Rod Menzer, world field champion, and Steve Anderson, world field champion, answering some of our Facebook follower questions about field archery? Sure. Okay. Start with uh, start with you, Rod. Mike wants to know what is your go-to method when selecting how to identify the sixty versus the eighty-centimeter field face in the unmarked game. And I, I actually have some feedback back on this as well. But go ahead. Oh, well, it's the big dilemma um, because you know the, the beauty of it is, of course, that you have so many uh, organizers liking to play games like putting the small face on a small or the big face on a small target. Thank you. you know that thank kind you. of stuff. Yeah, and, and you know the funny thing is when you look at the rule book, they're not supposed to be doing that. Well, back in um, back in uh, but in, back in the day, they used to do a lot of that. Yeah, especially here in the states. And, know, and they really still do. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, they were still doing it at all the recent world championships I've been to. So yeah, and they're not supposed to. I mean, for example, all the all the uh, target numbers are supposed to be the same size. By the way, mm -hmm. uh, so you can if if you're really good at comparing target numbers and looking at the targets you can see if what target is a little bit smaller and bigger compared to the target number if the target number is actually down at the target butt versus being by the stake um it also depends on who's uh who, whose face you're looking at you know if you're looking at a jvd face or you're looking at a maple leaf face or or, or some other face so if the logo you know, that is of course yeah, you're looking at logos and different types of things. Now, one thing sometimes again, logos are sized to the um, to the face, um, so they tried to you know do that. But one thing that they didn't do necessarily is is the uh, the barcodes. So the barcodes are basically the same size on an eighty and a sixty. So on an eighty centimeter, you can fit the barcode three times across, basically in the in the six ring. Um, by just you're eyeballing it and through your binoculars and on the 60 it's twice if they didn't fold the corners with the <laughs> barcodes on. if they didn't do so yeah if they didn't cover that up um, then of course you have to look at arrow holes and just get you know the size of arrow holes and knowing what type of arrows people are shooting and try and take guesses uh, then of course you look at the um, if Barbo hasn't shot before you <laughs> Um, <laughs> That's an important caveat. <laughs> you can look at if people missize the face of, you know, they usually missize it in the right in the same direction. So in other words, if you're seeing a bunch of arrow holes up high, you know, in the one ring high or off the paper high. That's where know, they thought things. the big face was the small one or vice versa. Correct. Right? Or, or, or vice versa. Yeah. Um, then really the, the biggest thing, um, and this is where... Yeah, 
you know, I mean, I've gotten in trouble doing this, and Steve, you probably have, and I know other people have. Jesse Broadwater was a classic at this, and that he'd overthink it. Um, if you walk up to to the the eighty centimeter, and it is at the shorter distances, that thing looks massive. Sure, it's like that. Um, it's like the moon on that. the horizon. It's huge. Exactly. Yeah, full draw. Full draw. You, you you have to be able to tell. Yeah, you're like, whoa, wow, you know. And if you draw back on the sixty, even if it's at you know at the the distance that are really in question, you know, the the further distance is there, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot smaller, right? So so you're you're not looking at, I mean, you should be able to literally common sense go, okay, yeah, my pin is about normal size for what I would think for a bullseye, you know, and, and that uh, thing I'm, is you know, huge. Kind of, Right versus holy cow, um, man! I can hold really good on this thing because it's huge, you know. And you just got to use your common sense knowledge on it. Um, so pay pay attention. You walk up, and the thing just looks big. And where it gets tricky is when it's in the wide open. Yeah. And sometimes um, you know that you got nothing nearby to reference. Exactly. Or the, like six, with a the sixty looks between. If you have a yeah. big ditch, or you know, they take away exactly. the, the land between. That could be hard. Yeah. So when you when you're sitting out in the open and you got a 60 and it's at the max distance, um, sometimes it can look like it's back at 45 meters. You know, sure. it just looks further away than it really is. But again, when you draw back, it's like okay. And I had that, for example, in, in the World Field in Hungary. Um, there was one tournament there, and it was on a ski hill, and there was a downhill. And man, I stared at that target a lot trying to figure out which face that was and could not figure it out. Oh, I remember that um, tournament. And I took and I took the right guess, thank God. But man, before I shot that arrow, um, I was at full draw and I was just sweating it when my release <laughs> broke it. it was the right face or not. Um, but but it was one that I, I overthought. I mean I really did. So if you're practicing and you and you do enough, you're you're gonna you shouldn't miss face them because it, like I said, it's just the 80 is just massive at those distances that are in question. And yet, and yet, yeah. people still get caught almost they every do. time. They do, they do, they do. You can almost always just look at arrow holes in the target. Yeah. You, you can determine what, you know, what a bunch of arrow holes in the six ring look like on an yeah. 80 and a 60 pretty yeah. easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's like if I've exhausted every other option you just went through, like looking at the yeah. barcode, target logos, uh, listening for the arrow, how long it takes to hit. Yeah, seeing, seeing somebody that, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't do that either. I do. Target number. With a recurve, with a recurve it works. Target. You, you, if you get there and the other group's still at the target, you can get an idea. Yeah, that, oh, yeah, that, that, that too. definitely helps. Yeah, seeing yeah. the size of the target reference to a, reference to a person, which is why yeah, every time there's, Steve there's walks up next to an 80, people think it's a 60, but you know. Yeah, the, the the tricky thing is again when it's a fresh face, and and I'll, I'll you know I, I still give them grief over it today, in in France at the World Championships, uh, Jesse on his very first target he misfaced it and boink up high. But then you can have people like Steve Anderson, who have such an incredible draw length that at 60 pounds, uh, their bow shoots 450 feet per second. <laughs> and, and, he can, and he can misjudge a target by 10 meters and still shoot a four. I, uh, I screwed one up at 2014 Worlds. And 20, let's see, well, there's two stories. One is 2015 U.S. Nationals. And it was, it was only Jesse and, and uh, Greg White and I. That was the only guys who came. And first target, right off the bat, we're in Yankton. And it's an 80 that I misfaced. And I shot first and missed low. And I missed the whole target. And uh, Jesse immediately lets down and moves his sight. <laughs> so whatever they did on that one, it had both of us. So we were both going to miss. But I went yeah. out and did the honors. So I started. I started uh, national championships giving Jesse a six-point head start, which yeah, never usually did. doesn't work. But yeah, um, yeah. Then the other one, 2014 World Field. I started first target. So we're we're in Croatia on the practice, but the 60 centimeter faces were like the Bjorn target or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
and then the 80 centimeter faces were JVD or vice versa. And they had the elephant targets, which come in a lot of the, the butts, which come in a lot of different sizes. So I was, and I is my first world field, you know, I've been talking to guys who told me to watch out. They'll try to trick you and blah, blah, blah. And they will, you know, they will. Yeah. But I was convinced, like, okay, we're going to get on the course. No one's paid attention to the fact that they've got different faces on the 60 and 80 on the practice field. So I think they're going to swap it on the course. There's a good chance they swap it. You know, they try to get someone who goes, oh, look, the JVD is always uh, an 80. And uh-huh. I get them. So right off the bat, I get on this one that, it was an 80. It was fairly short. I want to say it was like 37 meters. So doing the judging, I think I would have called the, let's see, I would have, uh, I would have judged the 60 for like 28 meters, 28 and a half, something like that. Yeah. And yeah. I, uh, I shot it as a 60 face with a bow that shot 310 feet per second and I shot a four. And I think everyone thought I just made a bad shot. So I didn't move my sight. I just aimed four high, stuck two right on the cross and walked away. And uh, no one else made the mistake, but I was thinking like, you know. Come on, I'm not, somebody. I'm not gonna show that I freaking blank this one, you know. So but the bow was so fast. I was shooting a Yeah. It was that was it would have been a Pro Comp and so yeah, Hoyt Pro Comp and I think I had Easton Pro Fields with like a hundred grain point. They were three hundred and fifty five grains. They were rocket ships. So Yeah. You know, I I've no matter what I do, it seems like if I get my bow shooting 270 feet per second, I'm like stellar. And, <laughs> you know, that's about it. And it's like, you know, and I'll have people, whatever reason, you know, they're two inches shorter in draw length and, and, and they're, they're faster than me. I don't know what the deal is. I must be in that terrible sweet spot of draw length, um, that it is what it is. So, you know, and I'm not somebody who will shoot in, you know, a lighter arrow like an ACE versus an X10 because, man, X10 is just such a great arrow. I'm like, no, I'll just shoot slower. I'm good, you know. But when I, if I misface or misjudge it, I pay for it, no doubt about it. So it's a lot harder. Matter of fact, there is not a a worse feeling, and Steve, maybe you agree with this one, there's not a worse feeling is when you miss, if you misjudge the face or you literally just screwed up on your, your setting your sight or whatever happened to be. <laughs> and you shoot and you airball that sucker and you don't know if it went under or over. Yeah, so, well, you don't hear the, t- the arrow hit the target like you, you expect and you're like, nothing. what did I just do? Yeah, so and, te- you, yeah, and exactly. technically, like, and technically you're not now? supposed to get any help from people on the uh, target no. with you to tell you. You know, They're not supposed to tell no. you what happened. No, so everybody just looks at you and they start grinning like... Like, okay, and you're like, okay, did I misface it or did I just judge it wrong? Did I, you know, you're trying to figure it all out and, you know, ugh, yeah, it's a terrible feeling. Trust me. <sighs> but it's it's also a really good feeling when you center punch one after you've had that doubt. Yeah. Kind of yeah. makes up for it almost. No, no question. No question. All right. Moving on. Uh, Adam has a question, um, and this is a good one for both of you guys. Adam says, okay, so how do we improve field archery to make it more interesting for spectators to help promote the sport? Can we find a game people will love to watch? Seems an easier option than trying to give target archery more views. Now, aside from that incorrect last statement that Adam made, <laughs> just kidding. Um, how do we improve field archery to make it more more of a spectator sport? Uh, I'll give you guys a shot at this and then I'll, I'll weigh in. Uh... Field archery could be, it, it, it's it's the most fun for me to watch. Yeah, but absolutely. I just think it's still you're still fighting the the uh, current of getting people excited to watch archery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, it's it's just not. And with with what we're dealing with right now, archery's probably seen more views. Like you said, George, they're putting stuff out on uh, major networks in Japan and elsewhere. And I've seen, you know, some of the ESPN, the eight, Ocho, you know, they've been showing marble racing. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite things to watch is 
a guy from Barstool Sports named Big Cat who's got like a a electric horse uh, magnetic electromagnetic horse racing game that he does every night and stuff like that is you know <laughs> that's that's what we've come to yeah. yeah but i just don't know that the casual viewer is going to look at field archery and there's think, complexity to it yeah I, I think that there's there's some things that can be done that would help um you know but it's it's difficult um and it requires kind of changing some of it around but uh, for example, um, the World Games in Taiwan, that every single target was basically along a walking path in a park. So you had spectators that were on that walking path as you were shooting the course. I had a very similar so, experience at the World Games in Germany uh, and, yeah. you know, basically had, you know, the gallery that follows golfers kind of had a gallery, yeah. you know, and, and that yeah. was kind of interesting that way. I, I would say that was just as interesting as a shooter as it might have oh, been yeah. for the spectators, but I'll bet you every one of those spectators was an archer. Whereas I'll in Taiwan, maybe possible. not. Yeah, and I, I guarantee in Taiwan it wasn't. Um, but it was, it was, it was cool because you could have people literally watching, and it's a different kind of game. And they would be, you know, on the walking path down closer to a target, and in a safe, you know, in a safe angles and stuff. Of course, they no, no, nothing was unsafe the way they set it up. They did a great job. Um, and, and people could be, they could see the arrow. They could see the arrow hitting in the target. You know, they could, you know, that's one of the difficulties sometimes we have with, with spectators. Um, if you don't have a huge giant screen or something is today with, with the speed of the bows and the size of the arrows, you see the archer shoot and you just don't know where in the world it hit on the target. Um, but there they were able to see that. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so it, that, that would work. Um, I mean, you could do, you know, setting up some, you know, along logging roads and things like that, you're going to have a lot more walk back targets. Um, but you could do it to where you could have spectators in the middle and then you could easily have, you know, cameras that can follow and they could show and, they, you know, you could have up and down hills, you could have side hills, you can do a lot of different types of things with logging roads um, in certain places. Um, and then I think, I mean, if you look at the finals for the world championships, they're always very well watched and intended. I mean, whether you know, the last year in Switzerland or, um, or not last year, but the, the last one in Italy, excuse me. Yeah, in Italy. And, um, uh... You know, that was phenomenal. And pretty much all of them, um, they're all, they're all in a, usually in a park or someplace where people can see it. But I, I hate being in the wide open and the wind. And, you know, to me, that's not field archery. But having, you know, logging roads and things like that, that where you can literally have uh, spectators kind of, you know, there. But it, it does change it when you're talking the unmarked. You know that one's a different world. Yeah. But field field archery is just fun, and today cameras are so small you can you can get great quality video off of GoPros for crying out loud. So I think you can, you know, you can almost make it like golf where you'd have different people, different targets, and and I think the the Pro Series did some of that um, really well in uh, in Europe. That was a great series, and and there was a lot of people that watched that on TV or not on TV but on the internet. Just to uh, just to build on the point that you just made, Rod, um, with cameras and camera technology being what it is, look at any motorsport. You know, I, I, I follow MotoGP, for example. Um, yep. And you know, on even the bikes. Yeah, they're on the yep. bikes, and why yep. not mount a camera on the hat of the archer or on their shoulder or some other place that's unobtrusive to the shooter, but yep. gives the spectator the archer's eye view of the situation? I think that would be really interesting. I think there's a lot of things that can be done, right? Um, and I think as technology continues and the costs keep coming down of cameras like that, I think, you know, you can see something hopefully uh, uh, improve as far as field archery goes. Because I do believe it's, I enjoy it the most and I do, I, I could walk around and watch people shoot field archery um, all the time because every target's different. It's yeah. like a golf course. Every, yeah. every hole's different. And not every shot's a gimme. Not every shot's a gimme because of the fact that yep. you just don't know if they've, especially on the unmarked, if they've got it dialed in. Yeah, yeah no, fact, yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, in the pro series, if that ever comes back around, um, you know, that was helping, I think, uh, for field archery. And, you know, I, I hope something like that could happen. I would love to see something like that in the United States, quite frankly. Um, that was a phenomenal event. Steve, I know you went to some of those. Yeah, those were fun. 
we can uh yeah. we we've one of our issues we're just so spread out as a yep. people you know so it's yep. like we've had uh dan jazza tried to do them and yeah just didn't get the participation needed right right it's it can be difficult when you know there's so many tournaments and tournaments with big money and um, that's where the archers want to go and it can be difficult. Well, and that's so. that's a separate discussion maybe for a different day. But getting non-endemic money into the thing so that there's actual serious money involved as opposed to the yep. relatively small amount that the archery industry can generate. And I say relatively, you know, uh, advisedly. Yep. Uh, if yeah. we can work something out that would provide for that kind of thing, and of course that's only going to be uh, a little harder to do in the current climate, but um, you know, it's the kind of thing. Well, that if can, anybody has any anybody has any really good solutions to that, please let me know because we would love to have them, right, Steve? <laughs> At the USA, uh, I've it's, been it's here a difficult endemic for ten years now. Yeah. yeah, it's a very very difficult thing for for archery for whatever reason, and. You know, um, not in Korea. I mean, they got a benefactor there with, uh, you know, several guy that several. is is phenomenal. Yeah, um, and Samsung, and you know, I mean, you know, this is yeah. uh, a different. A but different, that's their big one. Place. Is Hyundai. you know, it's yeah. it's a yeah. such a big piece. But but you know, if we yeah, if we could find a a, a a nice benefactor, somebody who had passion in archery, that you know, and Elon Musk had decided he wanted to shoot archery, <laughs> uh, you know, put some money behind it, that'd be wonderful. But <laughs> if I came across a billion dollars today, yeah, I would give, I would give to archery a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I, give but I would do. I would take the Dave Cousins super super shoot approach. And if you don't know what that is, you'll just have to find out sometime. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have yeah. Dave on to uh, to explain that sometime. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, last it's the best one arrow shoot off in the history of archery. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. Mental game is a question that we have of, uh, from Daniel. And uh, the yeah. reason I, I think we'll conclude the show with this question is this is one thing anybody can work on whether or not they're stuck in their house. How do you yes. practice your mental game? So let me ask each of you, Steve, how do you practice your mental game uh, in the occasions when you do? Truthfully, I, I, uh, I mean, there are ways you can practice your mental game in theory. I don't know that any of them really work until you also incorporate exposure to that. So you've got to get out and shoot the tournaments. You can sit in your house yes. and tell yourself you're yeah. a great archer. You can yeah. read a book. Yeah. But well, I totally agree with you. You'll get an experience. I, I actually really agree with you on that point. But, you know, I think if you look at Lanny Basham, right? He made his bones yeah. on on basically not shooting for a year, but practicing a full round every day in his head. Now that's rifle, it's yeah. not archery, but yeah. you know, yeah. went out and won the Olympic games, right? So, yeah. I mean, look at it from that point of view. Uh, what can people do constructively right now? I think visualization can be a great thing. I think visualization is huge. Um, you know, if you're a target shooter and you're competing, you're visualizing all the time. You're always thinking about, um, every single shot how many how many arrows do you shoot a day just in your head um and you know those can all be perfect and that's that's really the the big thing there is to try and you know literally put yourself in situations and think about them so that when you're in that in that but you know i think i think the whole mental game is a personal thing not one thing works for everybody there are a lot of different uh, systems a lot of different things and you got to find something that works with the type of personality you have um, there are some people out there, um, for example, uh, Dave and, and Braden, Galen team, both of those, Dave Cousins and Braden, it, when they were younger, they loved shooting when they were fired up. I mean, they wanted like as much noise and as, as cheering or, or anything that you could put towards them and it fired them up and, and that actually helped them. Very true. Um, now they're both calmed down a little bit to where it's not as big of a deal, but that's at the time for their mental state and what they like, that was a big deal Yeah. for others. They, they prefer to be super calm and quiet and, and that may not be realistic for, for some, but some can do that. I had the impression um, Justin Hewish used to thrive on a big crowd that was cheering for him yeah, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so Jay so bars, I think that, Jay that bars the same a, way. Yep. I think it's just really managing your expectation as your mental game. 
You know, if, if you are putting too much pressure on yourself, you're always thinking that everybody's looking at you and they're not. And if you put too much pressure on yourself or you try too hard, um, that's when things become difficult. So by, you know, working on your mental game to where you just, you just, you take it good or bad and you work on the next shot. And the more you do it, the better off you are. For me, the thing that worked the best, just so you all know, uh, when I was competing and, and you know, but, and winning things um, were affirmation cards. So I had a bunch of affirmation cards that I sat by, that were sitting by my desk and I'd flip through those and I put goals and different things on them. And then um, lo and behold, I go to events that I had on those cards and things that I did scores and, and it would just, they would just happen. It was kind of a way to get over the hump. And it was kind of like, just for expectations for me, it was like, I'd come back and I'd be flipping through the cards and I'd be like, ah, I actually did that or I hit that score. And and at that point in time, I, all my personal bests were literally shot in events. Um, and I really credit affirmation cards of working for me. Yeah, so, uh, another tool. And everybody's a little different. Yeah, but another tool in the toolbox for sure and a, a valuable one. Yeah. I, the one that has never worked for me is the relaxation technique because I'm sorry, when you are on a podium or not a podium or on a stage, Steve, you know this, you cannot be calm. You can try your best to just focus and to, to <laughs> pick the things that are working, but you are going to be nervous. Absolutely. And, and there's no way to, for me to be able to be like, <sighs> and all of a sudden be calm and be able to shoot when everybody's staring at you and the clock is ticking or whatever it happens to be. So you've got to literally learn to handle and just deal with that, hey, you're not necessarily going to hold perfectly still, or in some cases you will, even while your knees are shaking. You know, I, stuff like that. You have to approach it with the, instead of saying, oh, I'm nervous. And a lot of people, they're so worried Every, that they're going yeah. to go up and fall in their face. And it's like, you <laughs> might, and guess what? Life will go on. But if you can approach it with excitement, like I got to the yeah. point where I was – more excited to get on the main stage and compete there because then I had done what yeah. I was supposed to do, right? Yep. And, and it's a lot more fun shooting on camera with a boom swinging in your face and yeah, you know, doing that than practicing in your backyard where it's just easy to sit yeah. there and feel good. So the worst thing you can do, and this really comes within field, you know, you notice it a lot is that. You know, the hard targets, uh, say a 50-yard target or um, and an NFA field range, you know, it's a small target or 80-yard walk-up. You know, you walk up there and you're like, okay. If you just walk up and you draw back and you just shoot it and you have good timing and it's just like another target, even though it's a smaller dot, you're, you know, you're, you're hold whatever. If you just make it happen, you could throw a wad down there. If you walk up there and you're like, oh, boy. Oh boy! Well, I better try a little harder. I oh whoa 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 you you know, and you start thinking like, oh my gosh, this is a tough one. And you your your timing changes or anything like that, you know, you're gonna miss one or two. Talk yourself yeah, right you out of it. Find yourself. Yeah, if you say, yep. oh, this is supposed to be the hardest one, it will be your yep. hardest one. Yep. So, so. you got to do your best to literally walk up, and no matter what the circumstance is, how nervous you are, television cameras, whatever, to literally do what you do, and what got you there. Same time focus on the same things to just make good shots and let let it happen i would wager I that that's my advice i would so. wager that each time both of you have center punched that 101 yard target at reading you were probably relaxed and having fun more than you were nervous about it oh uh, yeah yeah it you know i i remember steve um when he won reading uh that guy walked around that course like Steve Anderson. I mean, it was total confidence, the strut, you know, the big cap was going on. And he the was having the prowl. A time. He was, he was, you know, Steve, you, I mean, we were joking, we were laughing, we were picking on people, we were doing all kinds of, of things and we had a really, really good time. But you, 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 you were feeling nervous, but you, you literally walked up to it like you owned that target before you ever shot it. And that's the type of attitude you need to have. If you walk up there going, oh boy, okay, all right, I need this one. You know, you're you're doomed. Yeah. So, okay. just my Yeah, <laughs> it's just another shot every time. 
Yeah, and, and it's hard to, to duplicate that, but it's that's the fact, and that's what you need to work on mentally. But when you're at home, yeah, you can do a lot of things of just just thinking about it, like, man, what what do I how do I make a good shot, you know? And you're 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 imaging that all the time. But, and that might accelerate like what you need if you're at home working on it or reading or just watching stuff. It might help accelerate the exposure aspect of it too, because you're gonna need to do that, right? You got to go out and do yeah. it as well. So yeah. maybe, but maybe you won't need to do it a hundred times. Maybe you'll only need to do it 50 times or whatever. That's an arbitrary number, yep. but you yep. know, I, I'm not the type to read a book. I read about five pages of Lenny Bassam and, and uh, put it down. I, I'm not a book reader <laughs> yeah, unless it's for stories or entertainment value. But um, I, I also I, grew up with a, a huge competitive background. So that yeah. really helped me, you know, I'd never have guessed. <laughs> and I, I think, I think the fun thing is when you're practicing and if you have a buddy that you can practice with or you're at the club and there's other people there shooting is to literally always be competing one way or another with them. Yeah. You know, it might be, okay, this end, you know, you walk over to him like, okay, this end, we're shooting for a candy bar or we're shooting for whatever Coke and the thing, or, all right, let's, it's you and me or for nothing. It's like, okay, you know, shoot against somebody and, and, and make it count. And, and if it's somebody that's not necessarily at the same skill level as yourself, give them some points and make it so it's tough. You will feel some nerves. And Absolutely. that does help. That's you know, so huge. so constantly doing that I think is a lot of fun. And and I see guys do that all the time. I mean, I see guys at Vegas, you know, they'll be over there and they're they're counting inside outs in the while they're practicing with the guy standing next to them and every single end they're competing even though they're practicing, you know? And so you're getting used to that nerves and trying to beat somebody and, and um, you know, just, I don't know. I think the more the better. Yes. Tournaments. And, uh, Wednesday night leagues, whatever. Make it competitive. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Rod, I want to thank you for joining us. And Steve, uh, any last words before we uh, sign off? Uh no, Steve, I miss you, man. Yeah, be good to get back and see you at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. George will see you in the field of play too. So Absolutely. hopefully, uh, hopefully, sometime soon, guys. All right, keep on keeping on, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the podcast today. Um, we will be back again next week with another Easton Target podcast, and I want to thank you, Rod Menzer, the CEO of. Not world yet, but <laughs> USA Archery. <laughs> and uh, what was that, Steve? Uh, end of show. End of show. <laughs> That's how we end the show. <laughs>